It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get glass flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East Hall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 4 Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. Another week, another chaotic set of headlines as defined by our own government. More infighting, more possible U-turns and not a peep on anything environmental. Extraordinary times. Let's speak to our man who's been busy hitting himself over the head with a large frying pan trying to make sense of this nonsense. He is the green entrepreneur and environmentalist, Dale Vince. Morning, Dale. Yeah, morning, Ian. It does drive you to that level of madness sometimes. Somebody said to me yesterday, actually, you must have a flat forehead from banging it against that brick wall all the time. Yeah, <laughs> They were talking about planning and stuff like that. But you know, Well, I mean, talk uh, about put yourself into the, the, the bear pit. You actually went to the Tory party conference. Yeah, I mean, snake pit, maybe, uh, might be a better better description. This is my second time, and I felt, uh, I felt kind of, I don't want to say I felt more at home, but I felt less kind of alien at this one, uh, partly probably because of my attire, because I wore this outrageous uh, camouflage tracksuit last time accidentally, and it, I, everybody stared at me. And this time there were less stares, but it was still a really alien environment. You know, you've got like... Um, so many people wearing blue suits and brown shoes, and they walk around like they don't know how to walk. It's a really funny thing. <laughs> <laughs> the Ministry of Funny Walks is alive and well at the Tory party conference. But I had fun. Uh, and I met a, a few interesting people, and I cruised the trade stands. They were the same trade stands as at Labour, actually, which is interesting. Yeah, of course. Did you meet any Tories that you thought, oh, they're all right? I met Therese Coffey actually on an uh, escalator. She was being harassed by the media from the escalator beside us. So they were trying to talk to her through me and I was trying to get out the way and uh, got to the top. And uh, she was like following me, hiding behind me. I was just trying to get away from her. And afterwards she apologized. <laughs> Fantastic. I think that popped up on Newsnight for which I'm pretty sure you're due a fee. <laughs> That's right. It was a, a two-second cameo on Newsnight. Yeah, they can't just be using people's images in this kind of way, even if you are providing a human shield for the health secretary. Yeah, and I got in this year uh, with a press pass. So, uh, you know, I had trouble last year. They were like, yeah, yeah. You, you, it was all legit this time, wasn't it? There was no, yeah. no hassle. Uh, in, in you went like the Messiah turning yeah. up there in Birmingham. But through the back door, right? Because the media way in was crazy. Uh, through through an, a literal back door in the building and then down hundreds of meters of corridors and downstairs, yep. twisty, turny. I, I, I shot a little video and stuck it on social media. It was quite an unbelievable entrance. And then you come I out. I saw it, door. yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. It's a rabbit warren. Well, yeah, Bill. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't quite believe it. But they didn't do that just for me, did they? No. Did you learn anything from the party conference? That's the point. Did you come yeah. away going, wow, these guys are really onto this? No, that's a good question. I met my friend. I have a friend uh, from the fracking industry who okay. uh, who I met at the audit committee a few months ago. Oh, and- Frank the Frack. I don't think his name's Frank, but but uh, you know he's pretty on top of all the stats. We had a we had a useful exchange about the data because I thought it was a new story this summer that there's only five years of frac gas under our feet. But what it was was a repeat of a report that came out in 2019. So he straightened me out on that. So I learned that. Uh, but uh, at the same time, 
you know, the report stands, it's, uh, we got five years of gas as a peer reviewed report as well, you know, so quite, yeah. uh, quite in depth scientific. Uh, so the, the, the point is that, I mean, the headline is there's no long term solution out of fracking. No, that's right. And when I was reading the story about Reese Mogg, right, I mean, he's a comedy guy, isn't he, saying he'd love fracking in his back garden. Uh, I was reading that story just now and how uh, a lot of uh, his, uh, what do you call it, constituents disagree with him. But those that did agree with him were talking about fracking as a short-term fix, which is such a crazy mistake because, you know, the industry says it'll take 10 years to get fully up to speed. And the science says when we do that, we've got five years left. So, yes, yeah, short-term yeah. in that respect, but it isn't quick to, uh, to get fracking going. Let's talk about power cuts, Dale, because big headlines uh, really coming out yesterday talking about the possibility, and they did state that this is, you know, worst-case scenario territory, national grid, suggest there could be these three-hour blocks of, well, the whole thing going off like the mm. 1970s. Yeah, I mean, it sounded all right to me because I remember the 70s and, you know, uh, sitting around with candles. It was quite fun. But look, um, the, the, <laughs> I told that very story on, on the radio yesterday. That, that was the only, uh, the, the 1970s was like living in a cocoon of shit for so many reasons. But, <laughs> but actually, that. The, the, the one, the, yeah, I mean, this is the, the era that gave us the Austin Allegro and Blue Nun, for goodness sake. So uh, they're not going to get off lightly. However, there was a sort of slightly romantic notion about the candles coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. But what's happening with this story is that the national grid are doing the job and their job is to scenario plan for how the winter may unfold and what kind of capacity margins we've got how much headroom we've got in generation and their base case says we've got 20 gigawatts of headroom which is a lot right Right. Um, but they've got two other scenarios, one mildly dramatic and one even more so. And in that uh, most dramatic scenario, we're two gigawatts short, right, compared to the 20. That just gives you a bit of scale. And therefore, they say we'll need to probably have some kind of pre-planned uh, power outages of, of three hours duration and, and that kind of stuff. But what the, the thing about the story that got me the most is that National Grid say that they would do that in order to save 5% energy consumption. So that's like an energy efficiency plan, right? But that's a, that's a plan for failure because we don't have a national energy efficiency advice program. Our government are not telling people to save yeah. energy. They say that's a personal choice. Well, in that case, that means rolling blackouts are a personal choice. That's how it looks to well, me. Well, right. And actually, Liz Truss had said on a couple of interviews in the, the, the run-up to her getting the big job, uh, will there be energy rationing on your watch? And she said no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is energy rationing, right? I mean, there's That's no doubt right. about it. There's no doubt about it. But they live in a fantasy world, don't they, where people can choose to uh, consume energy or not, and there won't be rationing, and there won't be handouts either, by the way, but then they'll subsidize energy bills. And, yeah. I mean, come on, we can't actually have any faith in them, can we? I mean, right now, it's incredible to me, but th- there are big sections of the Tory party saying Liz Truss has to go. She hasn't been here a month yet. But she has to go. Utterly right? unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, this is uh, the party that got an 80 seat majority. I mean, you can't make this kind of stuff up. Oh, honestly. And invariably, idea. no matter who you were, in, you know, four weeks in office would usually buy you, uh, you know, troubled times as they might be. It'd buy you a little bit of a honeymoon period. Not, mm-hmm. the, the, not, not a big one, but a bit. No. Uh, she, she's had none of that, Kate. No, I, I think the I think she tanked the Tories' ratings just about as hard as she tanked the pound. Actually, I mean, Labour yeah. have got a thirty point gap. I think that's unheard of. Completely. Uh, we should mention, by the way, the Forest Green Rovers documentary. Oh, yeah. 
Let's do it. Which is out. And um, this was, I'm tempted to say a long time coming. I can remember you talking about it being filmed. And of course, the way TV works and stuff, it, you know, then they then go off into a basement somewhere in Soho uh, and, and cut things about and make it all look nice and shiny. And actually, a, a rather impressive one hour documentary, which is free, by the way, has, uh, has, has been produced. Yeah, and actually the pandemic got in the way as well because they started filming last winter and they'd been at it a couple of weeks and the whole team caught coronavirus and uh, it scuppered their entire plan because they were filming a series at that point. And so they pivoted um, early in the new year to shoot a single episode. But they chose a wonderful time to join us because we'd been top of the league most of the season. We had that incredibly dramatic end of season where we became league champions on goal difference uh, by drawing and all that kind of stuff. They captured all that drama. They captured the background to the club, all kinds of stuff. It's a great little film, actually. And as you say, it's free to air. I don't know where you find it. I mean, FIFA have got their own channel, um, and they're definitely putting it there. I don't know if... if yeah, right. if you go to fifa.com slash FIFA Plus, mm-hmm. then you'll find it there. Nice. Um, and it, it's bound to eventually spill out elsewhere as well. But at mm-hmm. the moment, fifa.com slash FIFA Plus is where you can get it and download it for free. Good work. You're really pro. worth a look. You're a pro. Uh, somebody here, George on Twitter, by the way, says, come on, Dale, what were you really doing on the escalator with Therese Coffee? <laughs> I was trying to get away. <laughs> it was so funny because I'm kind of given to feeling like socially awkward anyway, but I was completely awkward in that circumstance. This camera like, was trying to get to her and she's hiding behind me and I'm trying to get out of the way. And every time I move, she moves. And I was like, come on. Are you sure you didn't arrange to meet via one of those apps, did you, Dale? Come on, be honest. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no. It's just worth clearing that point up. You know, this is how rumours start. Uh, here's an amazing story. Bird flu. Uh, I say amazing, not yeah. in a great way, in yeah. a very disturbing way. Urgent warning to stop factory farming. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, I read that and I was thinking, oh, my God, it's like some kind of apocalypse film, right, where, you know, a virus kind of mutates and incubates somewhere and gets released out into the world, except this one is decimating uh, global bird life. Uh, millions of birds already have died, and it began in a in a goose farm uh, in China. There's no... Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that, but it began in China again, right? And um, essentially what the scientists are saying is that we've got to stop factory farming of animals because they're breeding grounds for viruses. Um, Obviously, the coronavirus was zoonotic. It went from animals to humans, but also they're breeding viruses that go from animals to animals, and they're becoming deadly viruses, which wouldn't happen in the world, in in, in the natural world, because of the intense conditions these animals are are packed into. And, uh, I mean, imagine a world without birds. I think that would be pretty... um, Well, you put 100,000 of anything under one roof, and and stuff is going to go badly wrong, right? I mean, you put 100,000 humans in a warehouse, stuff would go badly wrong. Yeah. And we know it does because like, I mean, there's a scary stat, right? 97% of all antibiotics that we make, we give to animals in factory farming because we know the conditions there are so bad. We've got to suppress stuff like hell, you know, um, with, with all these antibiotics, 97%. Wow. The arguments around this, I sense though, Dale, get slightly relegated when people talk about the environment. There's obviously issues about the kind of cars we drive and how we heat our homes. The factory farming thing is always there, but it never seems top of the agenda, and maybe it needs kind of elevating there. 
Yeah, I think it does. Um, you know, for me, it's all part of the food thing, energy, transport, food. If we just give up animals, then we give up factory farming naturally. You know, yeah, I mean, it just so. happens. There are plenty of people that argue, oh, well, we can have, we can have kind of wild roaming yeah. uh, animals and that kind of stuff. But there's a reason that we have factory farms. And that's because uh, it's the only way to make that much meat to feed all of the people that want it. So yeah. if we, if we went back to the old way of doing it, then we, we wouldn't create a lot of meat, wouldn't create a lot of problems either, by the way. So that would be okay. So I would vote for that. But uh, what well, it's interesting. Interesting, just tying in with that, because talking about what should be at the top of the agenda, Connor Burns, Department of Trade and Industry for the government, said the UK should not be putting environmental issues at the top of every single trade agreement. Now, you know, he'd be a guy that would never get bird flu onto the agenda. I thought you were going to say he'd never get bird flu. Well, he might get that. <laughs> but but I, you know, I, don't, I don't believe that our government puts environment issues at the top of every trade deal. I do not believe it. Absolutely. So, so what he's arguing, he's arguing against himself there, I think. So. Yeah. But they do that, right? These politicians like Trump, they, they, you know, put something out there that's the polar opposite of what's actually going on. Yeah. Right. He's like, oh, we've got to stop doing this. And it's like, well, actually, you're not doing it. You know, it's just, it's just <laughs> <That's> right, <yes. laughs> this crazy straw man argument. Kathy yeah. says, uh, does the reality of future heat waves and limited water in the ground reduce the amount of grass available in the creation of green gas? Good question. It's a really interesting question, and it's quite possible, but I think we actually have to transform the way we use water, and we use so much water in animal agriculture. Uh, it's another great knock-on. If we start eating plants instead of animals, we can save an awful lot of water, and we waste a lot of water in our homes as well. Yeah. So there's a lot we can do to conserve water, but it is possible. I mean, droughts are beyond our control, and uh, there's another story that we're about to cover, I think. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's, let's feed into that now, because severe droughts did choke much of the Northern Hemisphere throughout the summer right across and we're talking about the us we're talking about europe china uh etc and as you say stuff happens anyway but mm. uh, no doubt about it uh, as far as the world of science is that climate change is partly to blame yeah well a lot partly i would say yeah. according to this study uh, they were saying that the drought uh, this summer in Europe was a one in 20 year event or something like that. But at the same time, they're saying generally looking at the data, they believe that the climate crisis has made droughts 20 times more likely. And I must be making a mistake with statistics here, but I'm like, if it's one in 20, but it's 20 times more likely, that means it's going to happen every year. But I must have that wrong. <laughs> I must have that wrong. <laughs> well, who the hell knows uh, right now? The, the 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 level of confusion and inclemency when it comes to weather has been absolutely vast in the last five, six years. Fair enough. It is that time of the podcast, uh, Dell, as we visit Fracking Corner. Um, indeed. <laughs> the, 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 um, I am having some difficulty in finding the right page. Uh, this, <laughs> this sounds like a, it would just be funny if it wasn't so bloody serious. Because when you introduce Jacob Rees Mogg into any story, straight away there is a, a clear moment of amusement to be to, to be permed out of it. And uh, here's one such moment: he'd be very, very happy to have fracking in his back garden as long as he was paid for it. <laughs> I'm sure he gets paid for everything he does. But look, I think he's a bit of a performer. I think he likes to uh, to provoke with his statements. There's no way he'd want fracking in his actual back garden, right? He lives in a listed house in Somerset with manicured lawns and that kind of stuff. You know, there's no way. He's not being literal here. I think he means probably in somebody else's back garden in his constituency is probably what he means. But look, fracking is just the most stupid idea. 
Uh, it's already been resisted completely by the people to the extent that it got shut down. Government is saying, oh, we need to bring it back now for energy security. It can't give us that. Uh, they're also saying it needs to come back now to help us with energy prices. It can't give us that. It doesn't make any sense. And the science hasn't changed. In fact, the science has doubled down and said that there's a lot of uncertainty under the ground, that Quadrilla misrepresented the fault line under Preston New Road, and actually they need 3D mapping. Oh, and by the way, Preston New Road is very difficult, but it's the easiest place in Britain. Um, and it's like you put all of that together, fracking ain't going to happen. I don't believe it. But we might have to take to the streets to make sure of that. Well, they are taking to the streets. Fight against fracking uh, in the de-estuary has become the UK's fastest growing protest. This is mm. in Cheshire, of course. Yeah, it's brilliant. And like 50,000 people signed the petition in a matter of hours or something, and it's become that fastest growing protest through that measure. And and it's brilliant. I read some of the things they said that's so sensible. You know, like we want energy efficiency. Uh, you know, we want renewable energy, that kind of stuff. And and fracking doesn't make any sense. And I like I like what they said at the end. We beat it once, we beat it again. Couple of questions here, uh, Dale Imran on Twitter. So, has planning for onshore wind turbines been opened up by the government? It's gone quite quiet. Well, this of course was something we talked about uh, last week, I think, and possibly the week before. Liz Truss making that announcement, or the mini budget making that announcement that onshore wind uh, will be uh, well accelerated i think that would be reasonable yeah i mean the announcement was that they would unban it and and more importantly they would put it on a level playing field planning wise with other infrastructure projects but so far there's been nothing else just the announcement is it too early do you think sir i mean it, you'd like to think that some character in the business department or wherever it is the environment department are, mm. uh, are kind of looking at this and trying to dot the i's and cross the t's You'd hope, wouldn't you? I hope so. I hope it's not Jacob Rees-Mogg, um, but I hope somebody's doing it. Yes. Maybe they'll get Prince Charles to sign it with a leaky pen. <laughs> yeah. That's what we need. I think he would happily sign that, by the way, if it was oh, down no. to him. Oh, I don't think so. You don't not, think? No, not when I spoke to him a few times. He's he's not, in, or was not, in favour of big windmills. He likes the little ones, but not the big ones. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm not sure about that. And uh, if you remind me, I read also that he has to approve um, National Grid's plan for power cuts. How weird. Is that right? I mean, it's, I'm sure it's just a procedure, but even so, it's kind of strange to hear that. It is, isn't it? Does His Majesty approve? I do. <laughs> We're only now learning how many times Queen Elizabeth approved or modified legislation in Britain over the course of her reign because it's been kept secret. And and it wasn't subject to the data, uh, you know, not Data Protection Act, the other one. Freedom of Information. That one, that yeah, one. That one. <laughs> wasn't subject to that. That's changing in Scotland now. We're learning a lot from that. Yeah. Well, let's look at what the government's policy is or seems to be or plan uh, when it comes to energy. Uh, Kirsteen on LinkedIn says, what are your thoughts on the government's nuclear fusion plan? I think it's brilliant because <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> Just talk us over. What, what is it they've announced and why can't it happen? Well, nuclear fusion has been around as an idea for a very long time, maybe as long as nuclear fission. I don't really know which is where you split the atom. In nuclear fusion, you, you force them together. And nuclear fusion itself is a, is a really hard thing to achieve. And I think it was only a year or so ago that there was this massive breakthrough, the biggest breakthrough in like 50 years of trying to make nuclear fusion work. And some scientists somewhere had built a reactor that actually made as much energy as it used. So it broke even energy terms. And that was like the biggest step forward in 50 years. Wow. And, you know, we're, we're nowhere with nuclear fusion. And, you know, let's come back to the, the main point, right? We need to do something quickly. 
the climate crisis won't wait. The energy security and price crisis isn't waiting, right? It's upon us right now. And the fastest, simplest, cheapest, cleanest thing we can do is roll out renewable energy. And if nuclear fusion comes along one day, we'll be due. We'll pull all the windmills down. But I don't think it's happening. What a great point to finish on. Dale, have a cracking week. We'll speak in seven days. Awesome. See you then. Good, man. That's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there too and follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, also on Insta, on LinkedIn, and TikTok too. Zero Carbon East Off.